0: Welcome to the Trusted Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Iroquois Group. Iroquois is your trusted advisor in all things insurance. This week, you're listening to the special segment of
1: Charlie's Corner, hosted
0: by our very own Charlie Venus.
1: Welcome to our Trusted Advisor Podcast. Today's guest is Scott Burns, Vice President at Excess Brokers in their management and professional liability practice. And we're here today to talk to Scott about cyber liability. Welcome, Scott.
0: Hey, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming. First off, Scott, I've been reading the news in preparation for our talk, and it's kind of amazing. I, some of the stats that I've just recently seen, that there's been an increase of, in cyber attacks of over 300% since the pandemic started. In 2020, that more than 50% of businesses had a cyber attack of some type. This morning from uh, ERMI, I got this. The average ransomware attack now costs $155,000, and it results in 21 days of downtime. Now, when cyber liability started, we were thinking about lost data and, you know, what it costs for the notification expense. What the heck's going on in the marketplace now?
0: <laughs> uh, well, well, Charlie, uh, you've you bring out some statistics that are a bit staggering. He asked me, and uh, truthfully, not something I'm totally surprised by. But the state of the cyber world is is certainly one that's constantly moving. As uh, as you and many of the agents know, it's the exposure has changed substantially from when cyber was first introduced over a decade ago. Um, the coverages have responded and continue to respond to change to address some of these new exposures and new claims that we're seeing.
1: From a claim standpoint, what's been the shift? It used to be, you know, notification expense and like I said, maybe some identity theft losses. But that's shifted to other areas now.
0: Yeah, it, it really has. Notification costs and protecting your client's data was always sort of the, the driver of this cover. We've seen that move a number of times. Uh, you know, we entered into this phase where, uh, and we still see a lot of these claims today, where social engineering claims and funds transfer claims became very, very prevalent. And we still do see that. The bad actors uh, that I call them, they've decided that in addition to trying to dupe people out of money, they're just going to lock people out of their systems. So the ransomware claims that we see regularly are just consistent. The, the number that the bad actors used to ask for was a lot smaller. You cited a number that's $150,000 and they and I'm not surprised to see that and having the ability for these bad actors to ask for that business uh, or ask for that money is uh, we're seeing it very regularly.
1: So do you have any insight? Because when the, the ransomware attacks started, it typically was under $50,000 that they were looking for. And my understanding was that that was kind of the cutoff point where the FBI would investigate over 50, they would investigate. Under 50, they wouldn't. But it seems like that's kind of going out the window now. And some of these demands are even as high as a million bucks for some of the larger companies.
0: There are times where it's even even higher than that. Not years ago. I mean, we would see claims come in for a $500 ransom. And, and now that's, you know, the, the bad actors have just decided they can swing for the fences. They can try and get more from these businesses. They know how valuable and how dependent businesses are on on their technology and their data and their systems. My organization uses a cloud. Almost uh, many, many, many businesses use clouds and other types of technology to store and house all of their data and are dependent on this technology to to operate. So bad actors know very, very quickly that if an organization can't function because their technology is not working, often they don't have a choice.
1: And when you look at it from a coverage standpoint, when I was on the retail agency side, you would try to sell people the whole suite of cyber coverages, but the ones that you needed to have were the third-party liability and the first-party notification expense. Now you you know you need to have business interruption, you need to have the ransomware extortion coverage, you need to have the crime coverage either on the cyber policy or the or through a crime policy. I mean, what are you seeing from coverage offerings, and is there anything else that the customer really needs in this area?
0: It's really interesting because we are starting to see some of the companies who offer cyber try and make changes and pushes um, in terms of and specifically in terms of ransomware offering, you know, sublimited ransomware limits or putting a, a co-insurance clause. I've seen a couple of companies come out and put a co-insurance clause on ransomware, just and it's it's because these companies are seeing the claims pile up. And you know, where we've gotten to a point where um, clients see the value in the coverage or insurance see the value in the coverage, it's now can the carriers find a way to outrun these losses or, or price accordingly or limit certain areas where they're getting popped a ton. The nice part is it, obtaining the coverage is still relatively easy and the cost is still fairly inexpensive relatively, you know, some of these minimum premiums for a million dollars of coverage with the very broad policy language that include all the bells and whistles you, you sort of just described, you know, it could still be as inexpensive to say $1,000 or, or even less, right? I don't see that that staying, right? I see that changing because the claims are just becoming so frequent. And the expense of these things, as as you pointed out, you know, it, it's not 500 bucks anymore. It's it, they're big numbers. So it'll be interesting to see how a lot of these companies continue to maneuver within the changing landscape. By that, I mean new claims and new types of claims coming in, new competitors trying to be aggressive with pricing and cover, and established companies trying to find a way to not only uh, maintain the business they have, be competitive, put out new competitive policy forms, and still be relevant players in the marketplace.
1: Now, I know there's one of the national carriers out there that writes a lot of cyber liability. They recently instituted a requirement for multi-factor authentication. And I've even seen that there are some supplemental apps now for ransomware coverage. Is that becoming the norm now in the marketplace or is that, are they kind of leading the pack there?
0: I don't want to say it's becoming the norm, but I, I could see this becoming the norm. I could see that uh, multi factor authentication is going to be a must have. You know, maybe not this time, but a year now from now, or a year and a half, or two years from now, where if you don't have that, you're not going to get all the bells and whistles um, from the companies. So, I mean, it's a great observation because we can still get terms or an indication of price point with limited information as the insurance website, their operations, and the revenue. But that's changing. And where some of the markets are really pushing to get that information, the multi-factor authentication, some of these ransomware supplementals, we're seeing that. And I think they are trying to drive behavior and change that within the industry. It remains to be seen how successful they are.
1: Are you seeing anything from a partnership standpoint between the carriers and companies that can do, you know, the test the firewalls, test the network for security? Are those partnerships growing or is that just kind of stagnant right now? One of the really great features when you spend
0: money for a cyber policy are, are all those partnerships and services that these cyber companies are including. And a lot of that is because cyber insurance companies are they understand that this is it's in everybody's interest to, to try and prevent these things from happening. So getting risk management teams in place or getting immediate response teams in the event of an incident only serves everybody in the in, involved better, right? So having an insured who's willing to pick up the phone and say, hey, I, I think I might have a problem. Having a, an insurance company who's got partners who are crisis management team or immediate response teams, they can really help make a difference in, in limiting the loss if it's approached early on. So. Yes, it's one of the areas that I think the cyber insurance companies have done a really great job of is finding real experts in dealing with problems. And not only dealing with problems, but putting experts out to help insurance mitigate and manage that risk before a problem
1: happens. So people are buying the coverage and more people are buying the coverage. But one of the things that I see is just a concern from my standpoint, I could be off on this, but that people buy the coverage. But there's never really any discussion before a claim happens, as to, hey, this is your cyber policy. This is you know the risk management. Uh, you know this is who you call if there's a claim. They're going to jump in quickly to try to mitigate the loss. I don't know that a lot of that happens pre-claim on the cyber side. Not not as much as I think happens on workers' compensation sure. or general liability or auto, and. Are the companies doing anything to try to push that?
0: You know, it's really funny because uh, when some of these carrier partners of ours came out and said, hey, we really want to get the insurance, like this is a really great feature. You know, some of these added benefits to the insurance. When they came out and sold us on this and said, hey, make sure you're, you're using this as a hire, right? Because what we want to do is get these insurance to buy into this process. I would ask the companies, well, how often do these insurance take you up on it? And a couple of years ago, the, the response was very little. Do they use the benefits outside of paying the claim or dealing with it at, in the event of a claim? Really? I ask that question regularly of the carriers. And the response now has changed quite a bit from where it was a couple of years ago. More and more insureds are taking advantage of these benefits. This is a service that's included with these policies, and they should take advantage of it. And, and we are seeing more and more insurance do that. So, you know, thrilled about that. Ultimately, these claims are just becoming so prevalent that something needs to be done. This
1: goes back a couple of years ago. And so I know it's more prevalent today, but the, the frequency of cyber claims were more frequent than property claims. When you put that in perspective, you know, educating people on cyber and making sure that they have a risk management process or utilizing the risk management resources that the carrier is asking or providing to them is important. But as well as getting the, this is how you report and deal with a claim, getting that information across.
0: You're absolutely right. We had a claim come in yesterday. We'll still obviously process a claim the same way for any other line. You know, the claim scenario yesterday, an agent called me and said, hey, my insured has a problem. We're not sure what to do. And I said, glad you called. I'm glad we're going to get a team of experts involved so that they can piece through exactly what's going on. And we can try and prevent this claim from sort of exploding. So, you know, immediately this was pushed into the carrier. And as we're already in that process of trying to get the experts involved, they've already reached out to the insured and the process of determining what happened and how, how best to resolve it um, is already underway. This breach notice came in yesterday at 4.30. We're less than sort of four or five hours on the clock. The nice part is all of these policies have sort of breach response teams that work 24-7, but it's really important to notify companies when there is a problem and notify them early.
1: Now, is the most common entry point for all these hacks, is it still phishing or is it coming through the network or just a combination of both?
0: We are seeing a combination of both. I mean, still the, the big driver of claims for us is human error an employee clicking on a link they shouldn't or wiring money where they shouldn't or not picking up a phone call to verify something is still very much the driver of these claims is human error people, right? Um, it's not somebody actually busting down the the tech doors to wire transfer money out of an account. It's, it's you or I getting duped into sending money to the wrong place or we're clicking on a bad link or we're doing a number of different things that provide an access. Point.
1: Are any of the carriers providing any guidelines on administrative controls that companies need to have in place? Because this, you know, most of these claims do, like you say, come from human error, and it's really the administrative controls that people put in place are, are going to be the means to control them.
0: We're seeing more and more questions asked about that. And what I mean by that is on the underwriting process. Are there more controls in place? What does this look like? Some of the carriers do a very good job of saying, of identifying potential issues and reaching out to insurance and saying, hey, uh, this is something you should have, you or your tech team should look into, in addition to just regular cyber risk training. You know, my organization goes through this two or three times a quarter where we see this training type situation in an attempt to prevent people from clicking where they shouldn't or sending money where they shouldn't or any other way that a cyber criminal can kind of get in. Maintenance and communicating with employees, it's critical right
1: now. How is coverage changing overall to keep up with the with all the threats that are going on and the increase in cyber activity?
0: I, I don't envy the role of the insurance agent because it's very, very difficult to keep up with all the changes in the cyber marketplace. You know, I look at these things all day. And we're getting notifications from carriers, I wouldn't say on a weekly basis, but, but regularly, where some coverage form is changing or some coverage is being added or restricted. So it's a constant moving target. And you know, the big case I'll always make to my insurance companies is coverage is king. And you know, as long as you continue to put out competitive products that address the needs that our insurers are dealing with and facing, like, then we'll continue to approach you because there's too many, there's so much variance from one company to the next. Now, again, you, you do have the core components of a cyber policy, but it's, and I don't even want to call them bells and whistles, but it's the, the newer bells and whistles that really differentiate uh, insurance companies from one carrier to another. So do
1: you have any examples of those newer bells and whistles?
0: We're seeing a lot of bricking as a new cover that it's been, I don't call it new, but it's something that is becoming more and more regular with all with many of the insurance companies. All of the business interruption covers weren't there you know, with every company three or four years ago a lot of the crime language, a lot of groups have sort of adopted social engineering into their form, but how they address it in terms of the nuts and bolts of the policy, the policy language varies from one company to another. Am I gonna ask my insurance or my insurance agents to read four or five different cyber policies to figure out the nuts and bolts of each one? I don't know that that's the best use of their time. That's a big time commitment, but it is meaningful to lean on somebody who does spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time in this, but there are obviously there are other professional lines, people who focus a lot on cyber, um, lean on them and ask them the questions and push your wholesalers or your underwriters to give you feedback on where they think coverage is going and what policy addresses each specific insurance needs. It's really, really critical.
1: If you were advising a retail agent on how to assess the coverage needs of their clients, what would you say or what resources would you recommend to them?
0: The first thing I would recommend to them is to offer cyber insurance. I still deal with too many agencies who are uncomfortable with selling the product. And because they're uncomfortable, they don't offer it. For me, offering the product and offering options to insureds is obviously self-serving, but it's also meaningful. These, these insureds have this exposure. Every commercial risk has this exposure. So taking the time to get an option or two options or many options, it's still very easy to do that. Um, The the harder part is uh, making sure that each risk is a nice fit for the appropriate market. That's the challenge that comes with experience. So again, lean on your underwriters, lean on your wholesale partners or your brokers, because it is difficult to maintain what each cyber market is doing at any one time unless you're
1: doing it every day. So, into your comment that, you know, there are a lot of retail agents that don't feel comfortable with cyber, you have a product that you can access on uh, through Access Brokers, where, what is it? Five pieces of information, typically, and you can provide cyber quote and maybe multiple cyber quotes.
0: Charlie, we, we've partnered up with a, a number of groups who are able to, obviously, we'd love to work with all the Iroquois members. But what we do is we, we try and make The process of obtaining cyber terms from multiple carriers as easy as possible. The process can be as simple as putting the name of the insured in, identifying their state. And a lot of the time, the platform that we've partnered with will pull all of the information. It will pull the insurance address. It will pull their areas of operations. It will pull their website. At that point, the agents really only have to input the revenue. From there, we approach eight or nine insurance companies very, very quickly. I would hate for the insured, the agent to say, hey, Scott, you just sent me nine quotes. I don't have the time to read all this. Fair enough. I do a lot of coverage comparisons and, you know, I'm happy to give a recommendation on what I think would be a fit for each specific insured because, you know, we do a lot of this. So yeah, it's something that we really try and make easy for the agency base to get terms. And then as partners, you know, we provide guidance on which option we think is the best.
1: And what's the easiest place for them to get to that? Is it just to simply call or email you or go to your website?
0: It's either one. I'm a big phone call guy and I know some people are not. So an email is fine. Um, we can provide you access to the platform that we just described. We can go to accessbrokers.com and pull up our cyber platform there. And yeah, we really try and make the process of obtaining quotes and obtaining a proposal that you can present to your insureds, like super easy, super streamlined. And then I wel—I I would absolutely welcome, hey, Scott, what options do you like here? What, what option do you think is the best fit for this insured? And a phone call for me is great because, you know, then it gives me an opportunity to sit down and get to know our Iroquois partner, agency partners a, a little better. Um, And we can walk through a risk over the course of four or five minutes and say, Hey, here's what I like. And here's why I like it. And sure, this, this cover is great for this risk, but I like this one a little bit better because, you know, they're willing to extend coverage for funds held in escrow or, or, or whatever little uh, nuance is really important for each insurer. What I
1: like about it is it's a fast solution. And going back to your point, every commercial account has this exposure and if the retail agent isn't offering the cyber coverage, then they're creating an E and O exposure for themselves, and essentially they're providing the cyber coverage to their E and O policy.
0: You, you know, I'll, I'll give you a little anecdote. I partnered with a retail partner down in Texas, and you know, I spent a lot of time trying to get him to use his longtime partner of mine. I said to him, "Hey, you know, do me a favor. Have your team take thirty seconds." to put in the name of the insured, select the state, identify the risk and put in their the revenue token. I said, let's try this over an experiment. I'm not worried about hit rate because you know it's a, it's a platform that's doing this. And let's walk through and see how many hits we can get over the course of the next three months. And he said to me, that's wonderful. Let's try it. I love the idea. I know my team is not comfortable selling it, but let's we'll tuck these proposals in behind the, the other lines that we're presenting and we'll talk to them about it on every risk. Um, they've run over the course of three months. They've run. Uh, I was expecting maybe a hit rate of five or ten percent. Right? If we hit five out of a hundred, I'd be thrilled. Right? Charlie, they quoted over three hundred risks. Uh, we found over thirty-five percent of them over the course of three months. So the producers and the uh, agency principals thrilled. We're thrilled because obviously, you know, it's another hook into our agency base and it's a service that we extend to them. But I, I, I've been blown away by the hit rate on this. So it's it's not a lot of work, and we're binding a lo- much larger number than I thought we would. That's a,
1: not only a great story, but it's great that those clients are getting cyber coverage that they need. Yeah. But Scott, really, I really appreciate you being with us today. Been a lot of great information.
0: Oh, super. And thanks for having me, you know, the partnership that we have with. The Iroquois team is second to none. We love working with all the UCBs. So thank you again for your partnership. And Charlie, thank you for the time. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for listening to this edition of Charlie's Corner, brought to you by Iroquois Group. I am Edwin K. Morris, and I invite you to join us for the next edition of the Trusted Advisor Podcast.